Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Hey, are you a conscious, enlightened, or maybe awakened individual? Sounds kind of funny, right? Well, we hear a lot about the evolution of consciousness on the planet, but how does all this translate to a conscious, enlightened, and awakened world? Awakened individuals within a society do not necessarily create a regenerative culture. It's time to co-envision our future. What are the broader realities of living together on a finite planet faced with rapidly growing complexity and uncertainty? As we become conscious global citizens, we need to reflect on how we will have to change both individually and collectively. It is time to collaborate as one species and learn to transcend and include our differences if we want a more sustainable, regenerative, and thriving future for all of humanity. Our guest says, we also need a collective narrative about who we are and why we are worth sustaining. A shared story so powerful as to keep us all innovative, creative, and collaborative. It's time to explore ways in which we can reframe and understand the crisis that we currently face, how can we live our way into the future? Co-creating a diverse, regenerative culture. Are you in? I am. I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind. Connect with your heart. And settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Dr. Daniel Christian Wall works internationally as a consultant and educator in regenerative development, whole systems design, and transformative innovation. He is the author of the brilliant book, More Like a Whole Earth Catalog for the 21st Century, called Designing Regenerative Cultures. He's lived and worked all over the world and with numerous different organizations it's an honor to have you on the show, Daniel. Welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. So, Daniel, I have been looking forward to our conversation for so long. I, I really appreciate your work. I love this book, Designing Regenerative Cultures, and I can't wait to dig into this conversation. There's so much I want to talk about, and I know there's so little time that we won't be able to get to everything. But first, I have a traditional first question here on the show, and I want to give you the opportunity to respond to it because I think your your whole life exudes the answer, and I can't wait to see what you come up with in words here. So can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? All things connected. I think as the the, the strap line of, of your radio show um, says, the illusion of se uh, separation um, and all things connected, it, these two are very linked. Um, we believe that 
we are somewhat separate from each other and separate from the natural world. And I think that if we go upstream to the current converging crises that we see all over the world, whether they're social, ecological, economic, um, the root cause of that crisis is the fact that we're not, as a culture, telling a story that reminds us that our health and our well-being, our thriving individually, collectively, at the level of a species of all humanity, depends on the health, well-being and thriving of life as a whole. That life in and of itself was actually never separate, but is one whole process transforming, as far as we know, at least this planet, maybe, maybe even places beyond that. So for me, when I hear all things connected, it's the ancient wisdom of um, the, the Native American prayer of all my relations, that basically we, we can only be ourselves in connection and relationship to others. You are right now giving me the opportunity to bring forth who I am through the relationship we're having in this conversation. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. You know, you you write about this narrative and how it's important to change that. And I want to I want to dig into that a little bit deeper. But first, I really would love to hear more about your story. You fascinate me. You you write about being inspired about the change of the millennium, but you also traveled all over the world. You've lived in so many different places. And I, I would just love to hear more about who is Daniel Christian Wall and, and how did you get to this place? You, you have such a, a prolific voice on regenerative cultures here. How did, where, where do I start that story? Um, well, I was, born in, <laughs> I was born in Germany and um, my mother tells me that from an early age, I um, had this, what, what in German culture is called the Faustian quest. Um, Goethe's Faust um, asked the question of what is it that, that keeps the world connected in its innermost core? And maybe that's what led me um, to move on to study biology and understand what life or try to understand what life was all about. And then after spending some, some years in Scotland um, studying biology, I, I realized that modern science, I was a marine biologist studying marine mammals at the time, modern science doesn't actually allow us to map out and speak about the qualities and interconnections um, of, of life. You have to put everything into statistically significant boxes. And f in order for this quantity-focused science to work. You have to separate things out and count them and measure them. And in that process, you lose something that is actually the essence of how life creates conditions conducive to life. So that led me after being about, like finishing my degree in biology and, and, and working um, briefly in that field to leave biology and research science. And I became a scuba diving instructor and traveled the world, um, still staying close to the marine environment that way. And after a few years of doing that, I realized that that was a bit too hedonistic of a lifestyle and that by um, certifying people to go on to, like go on diving at uh, coral reefs, I was 
somehow making myself complicit in the destruction of those reefs because people do touch the reef and that destroys it. And so um, somewhere around 1999, I reconnected with this idea of community and living part of the solutions rather than part of the problems. And in a, in a very idealist way, try to set up an eco-village in southern Spain. And um, after not very successfully trying to raise funds and create a community and, and learning that initially I thought it was all about straw bale buildings and solar panels and the technology of green living and very quickly realized that so much was about social interaction, decision-making, group processes, and, and also the economic side of, of creating sustainability. So I moved on to do a master's in holistic science and at Schumacher College in, in Devon. And that really transformed my life because at Schumacher College, I managed to meet firsthand a lot of the pioneers in the ecological consciousness movement and, and James Lovelock, the inventor of Gaia theory, Rupert Sheldrake, um, Henry Bortoff, uh, Brian Goodwin, Stefan Harding, lot, lots of people came through there that, that deeply touched and, and inspired me. And um, while working there, I realized that the practice end of what we were studying in holistic science, the holistic worldview coming out of the sciences um, put into action was actually design. And so I spent some time doing a course with, with David Orr and John Todd, and then ended up writing a master's thesis on how, how like basically, it was called um, exploring appropriate participation. How do we participate appropriately in this transforming whole that is life, life's process of creating more life? And how do we create cultures that thrive within that whole? And that led me on to do a PhD at the University of Dundee. And um, at the time when I finished my PhD in 2006, there was absolutely no research funding in the kind of transdisciplinary work I was doing. So I ended up sidestepping again and uh, moved to Findhorn, to the, the Findhorn Eco Village in the north of Scotland, um, ran Findhorn College for a number of years, building bridges between this intentional community that had spent decades trying to implement sustainable living on the ground and universities around the, the UK and also to some um, US universities. We had some visits from the California Institute of Integral Study at the time. And yeah, so basically I've spent the last 10 years experimenting in what all the theory that I spent so long developing in my PhD work actually um, would mean in terms of working with the future as it emerges knowing that I can't predict and control it, um, but still trying to do my little bit that what emerges is a healthier, more regenerative and more thriving culture that both locally and regionally able to basically inspire in other places the, the same kind of process. And in a way, my book is an attempt to summarize what I've learned so far, but I don't pretend that I have the answers. Well, thank you for just even acknowledging that 
because who does have the answers? But what you present to us, Daniel, is really intriguing, as you say, working with the future as it emerges, rather than trying to control this ever-expanding, ever-changing thing that's coming at us. And and I really appreciate that approach of, of looking at the future as it emerges. What does that really mean? I'm going to allow you to explain that to the listeners more. What does it really mean? When we're talking about design and planning, we are looking toward the future, but you're really respecting um, living in the unknowing as well. Can you say more about that? Yeah, so um, basically what, what I learned during my time at Schumacher College in this this Master's in Holistic Science, which is one lens into some of your, your listeners might be taking more of a spiritual path in, into this perception of wholeness and our relationship um, and participation in wholeness. Well, there are, there are lenses offered by things like com- complexity theory. Um, that clearly, even mathematically, a complex dynamic system is fundamentally unpredictable and uncontrollable. And that fundamentally shifts the endeavor behind science from prediction and control, from um, measuring and manipulating um, an objective world out there, to putting us back into the picture and saying, we are participant in these complex dynamic systems. And if they're fundamentally unpredictable and uncontrollable, then the best we can ever do is to come to some kind of intersubjective consensus on how to create health, how to be healers in this process in a way that what emerges is healthy and wholesome for us and for all of life. Um, So acknowledging our not knowing makes us much more humble in the way that we propose solutions. And it somehow flips what solutions are um, on its head. Rather than seeing solutions as the final point, solutions are always just new ways of asking better questions, of uh, re-evaluating how are we doing, and of understanding that our path towards whether you call it sustainability or regenerative cultures, is not a path towards an endpoint which we can arrive at and then live happily ever after. It is a constant becoming. It is a pilgrimage of treading lightly on the earth and learning how to facilitate what, what I would call positive emergence or diverse regenerative cultures. Mm. So... When you're talking about this, there's so much here. The health of our earth is really our personal health, our, I mean, us tending to ourselves and our communities and our earth in a whole different way. But you also differentiate sustainable from regenerative. And that's what first caught my eye with you and how I discovered you was we were both on a thread having a conversation with a, 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 a colleague of ours about creating these cultures and you challenged the thread by saying why are we talking about sustainability we need to be talking about regenerative so let's just define that for our listeners what's the difference between sustainable and regenerative I think 
the definition tells us a lot, but when we're looking toward the future, it really is important for us to invest in the regenerative acts and, and theory and, and all of the above. So I'll let you talk more about that. So for me, while, while I was working on my PhD, I, I thought my PhD was going to be about design for sustainability. But as I was diving deeper and deeper into this picture, trying to really create the, the, the sort of bigger puzzle, the larger frame of integrating all the different strands that would create a sustainable culture, I realized that sustainability as a word is somehow leaving us wanting of what we're trying to sustain. And in the process, I suddenly arrived at this, this, this insight that, that really, um, and this re relates to your beginning question, that what we're trying to sustain is the pattern that connects, the, what Bateson would call the pattern that connects, or the, or the hidden connections after Heraclitus. Um, and these patterns are actually, again, linking to complex dynamic systems, are what makes a complex dynamic system healthy and evolving and and, and thriving. So um, there's actually a real connection between health generating design and um, creating interconnected collaborative systems. And and this and as I was moving along working on my book, I, I came across an article by Bill Reed in which he creates a wonderful spectrum that doesn't leave anything out, but puts everything into a relational place from business as usual, which is basically our current legal system allowing us to pollute this much, use this much energy. And if you do more than that, then it's illegal and you're breaking the law. So that business as usual is just one step out of jail, um, a little bit better than illegal. Then you move from there to green, which is voluntarily saying we could be polluting this much or we could be using this much energy but we'll do a little less and so we're actually better and you congratulate yourself for it and and that's usually what happens when companies greenwash but i don't want to really diss that because it's a step in the right direction it's yes. doing a little less damage yes. and then the next the next step is arriving at um sustainable which the the architect bill mcdonald calls 100% less bad you, you arrive at the point where your current behavior is not adding any more damage to the system as a whole. Hence, you could say it's sustainable. But since we've done so much damage to the system for 250 years of industrial revolution, or you could go even further back 5,000 years of agriculture, um, that it's not enough anymore to just sustain. We actually need to restore some of the damage we've done. So, so the next step in the spectrum is moving from sustainable to restorative. But, so, but restorative practices can still have that tendency of coming from that mindset of man or humanity over nature. And I'm kind of saying man on purpose because it's normally a, a male attitude of trying to control nature, um, even historically. And, and so you then get projects where people plant a million eucalyptus trees in a water-stressed environment saying they're doing reforestation, but very shortly after the, the forest dies again because the, the water table um, has, has been depleted. So it's these kind of grandiose, large-scale um, 
restoration projects that aren't really working with nature, but trying to impose a new order on natural systems. Okay. So, so the, then the next step beyond that is to say, okay, we need to reconcile this um, illusion of separation that you you referred to in the very beginning of the program. We we need to put culture back into nature, and once we do that, then we can move from designing using nature as an example to understanding our own nature as nature and become regenerative agents in the system trying to design as nature, trying to do what Janine Banyos so perf perfectly put as the, the fundamental rule of biomimicry, life creates conditions conducive to life. If humanity took that lesson serious and if we understood that the future of all our children depends on us creating conditions conducive to life, and this is for all of humanity and all of life, then we can move towards truly regenerative design. And that's way beyond what is normally talked about when we talk about sustainable practices. Yeah, thank you. That is really beautiful. I, I just want to pause in your words when you when you say put culture back in nature, in our own nature, as nature. And really, that's brilliant because we're talking about, and as I introduce the show, the thing that occurs to me is here we all are in this wake-up phase of humanity, right? We're talking about the evolution of consciousness. We're waking up. There's, like you mentioned, the spiritual um, path of of this enlightenment, and and here we are waking up. But so what? <laughs> and and what you've done is you said, okay, you know what? If we're going to be conscious, look at how we can put ourselves back in nature as nature to become a part of this complex dynamic system. And if that's our next step, it's brilliant because we we naturally will be regenerative as if we see ourselves as an integral part of this dynamic system of nature. It's it's very difficult for us to I mean I fall into the same um traps of, of our of the structure of our language. Even our language seems to be structured in a way that it's dualistic, that something is either that or it is not. And so um, it's so easy to fall back into this externalizing nature as something out there. And it's even a little bit paradoxical for us right now to, to go as far of, of saying, well, if you take that thought that everything is nature, to the utmost, um, Goethe used to say 250 years ago that if you don't, if you do not see nature everywhere, you see her nowhere in the right light, mm -hmm. and that that would mean that all our technologies, the most destructive technologies we can possibly think of, are somehow part of the biophysical system that we are also part of, and that we are um, consciously experiencing from the inside, um, and so. That means just as in life, um, many evolutionary steps in the long history of life on Earth have been dead ends, have been maladaptive steps, have been species that did not manage to fit in the ecosystem in a way that it nourished the health of the whole. And therefore, they went extinct at some point. And so in a similar way, um, our technologies can either be 
life-generating technologies, positive technologies that, that where, where we take our role as stewards and guardians and nurturers of natural systems, other more than human natural systems seriously, or they can be destructive. So really the, the, the big design challenge for the 21st century is can we redesign the human presence on earth so our impact is changing from predominantly degenerative and destructive to by and large regenerative and positive. Mm. That's that's the challenge we're facing. Wow. Can we redesign that? That is really a powerful question. And and you know what? You are all about asking better questions. And I want to ask you about asking better questions after the break, because I think it's brilliant how you weave really good questions throughout this entire book. I'm sitting here scrolling through each of the pages and I see all these cues in there because really it does help open and expand our mind and and really open ourselves to looking for better solutions. So I'm going to ask you so much more after the break. We need to take a quick break. We are here with Dr. Daniel Christian Wall, author of Designing Regenerative Cultures. So much more about this culture thing right after this break. Free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Any daughter would do the same. But soon enough, he needed help doing more things. And it was up to me to be his personal shopper and financial manager, too. And before I knew it, Dad moved in with me. So I became his cook, his personal assistant, his physical therapist, and even his nurse. When I started taking care of Dad, I didn't realize all the roles I'd have to play. But no matter what, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the many roles you play. And to help, we created an online caregiving resource center. At aarp.org caregiving, you can find resources and connect with the caregiving community. Together, we can better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving to learn more. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric. You know, girls who grow up with confidence are more likely to reach their full potential. I've interviewed world leaders, CEOs, and celebrities, but my most important role has been as a mom to my two daughters, Ellie and Carrie. I've worked hard to encourage my girls to see the world as a place of endless possibilities. They know that believing in themselves will give them the confidence they need to pursue 
persevere. Research has shown that girls with high self-esteem are better prepared to navigate life's challenges, not only in their teenage years, but well beyond. So join me as we empower the next generation. Together, we can help today's girls achieve their dreams tomorrow. This message was brought to you by the Alliance for Women in Media and made possible through the support of Dove and the Dove Self-Esteem Fund, working together to help girls reach their full potential. To learn more, go to Dove.com. So you see, son, good manners are important. Should I go through it again? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open. Don't speak with your mouth full. Keep your elbows off the table. Share your things, play nice, and generally treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But two minutes twice a day, making sure they brush their teeth is easier. And it could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. Visit 2min2x.org to find out more. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Radio to inspire, encourage, and empower you. This is Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe just listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a list of upcoming guests. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note. Tell me who you want me to interview. Tell me what's going on in your life. We're sitting here today talking with the author of Designing Regenerative Cultures, Daniel Christian Wall. And this book, if you haven't seen it, is really a a whole earth catalog. It's so full of amazing information. Daniel, this, you write like I fear writing. I remember writing my first book feeling so afraid that I had to, to cite everything and pull in the science and pull in everything. And I had to totally let go of that voice because it was so daunting and you do it so well. This is plum full of such good information amazing everything from wow I, I can't say enough about it so congratulations on the book it's really a treasure it really is Thank yeah you. you're welcome right before the break I was I was just making a comment about you saying we need to ask better questions. And I really appreciate how you write about that. You talk about how the how will guide the what and the how, um, or the why, excuse me, the why will, will guide the what and the how. And you do invite us to ask really good questions in here. I, I'm just intrigued about, about your focus on the question. Can you speak more about that? Well, um, there's two things. Uh, first, first of all, when I initially sat down to start writing this book, um, I suddenly had this moment where I thought, what is it that I can write in here that will not be obsolete in five or maybe 10 years time, in some cases, maybe 15 years time, mm. um, in some cases, much faster than that. And so I got to the point of reflecting on um, really the, 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 the initial spark that started 10 years earlier, 
which was a challenge to sit down and write a book, but it took me a long time to actually do it, which was a conversation with one of my mentors, David Orr, the environmental educator in his house, where I had asked David about the significance of spirituality and the sacred in the transition towards a more sustainable and regenerative culture. And David's answer really struck me because he basically said that before we could answer adequately the questions of what we might have to do to create sustainability or regenerative culture or what we or how we might do it, we would be challenged to ask ourselves a deeper question. And that is, why is humanity worth sustaining? And if you pause for a minute, that's a big question because it right goes to the core of who are we, what are we, why are we here for, what is our purpose? Who are we obliged to? All those questions come in when we ask, why are we worth sustaining? And so I remembered that conversation when I started writing the book. And I also remembered a, a wonderful Einstein quote that I've often used um, in, in teaching, which is Einstein apparently once said that if he had an hour to solve a problem that he knew his life depended upon, he would take 55 minutes to get the right questions because once he knew that he had the right question, he could probably solve the problem in five minutes. And so this took me into the, a whole new angle with the book of basically saying, well, maybe I can explore the different areas that I think are important, but rather than concluding each chapter with um, another set of summary conclusions, hence we know that we should be doing this, that, and the other, I decided to turn these conclusions into questions to to um, basically open up the possibility that the compass that we can hand down from one generation to the next that m may guide us towards a regenerative future, a time when humanity's influence on the planet is by and large regenerative, um, might not be a set of solutions and bullet point answers, but might be a set of ever best, better questions and that our real challenge is to live these questions together deeply in place so they're relevant to culture and the uniqueness of each ecosystem that we inhabit. Mm. Well, the questions are brilliant and I appreciate the intention behind your questions in the book because it really does open us to, again, looking for those right questions. I love that example about Einstein. So I'm just curious if I would ask you, I'm wondering how you might answer this. Have Why is humanity worth sustaining? I find a number of um, preliminary answers to that exploration in, in, in my book. And for me personally, um, it is our ability to love, our ability to, to, to some extent, we are the universe becoming conscious of itself. The gift of self-reflective consciousness that um, we know ex exists in, in humanity, but, but in many ways, we have to also assume that all other living beings have some form of experiencing that whole that they are part of. That that ultimate 
life process and transforming universe that that were all really expressions of from within in in their own consciousness but we have that additional ability to not only write poetry and love songs and 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 do art um to reflect that experience we can also through language pass it on and create explorations of the why and i think that in itself is already something worth sustaining i i feel like we're still a very young species we're we're like um recalcitrant teenagers who think we don't owe our parents anything but still demand everything from our parents um in this case our parent is mother nature and 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 this wonderful um abundant biosphere that we're part of and what would happen if we grew to maturity what would happen if we took our place in the community of life serious and became stewards and guardians of other life forms um gave nature rights again stopped the ecocide that is going on everywhere on the planet and um try to create conditions conducive to life what 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 kind of future would we create i think we're worth sustaining so we can find out what a beautiful world we could be part of once we get rid of the illusion of separation mm. i'm with you daniel i'm with you i i love your answer and i'm just sitting here thinking about even the arts and um the beauty just even creating through the arts this expression and then i i'm i'm really in this like imagining of if we can move past this illusion of separation just even the power of creating even more beauty than we can even imagine in this moment um if if earth can create these mother nature creates these incredible tropical flowers and amazing fish that we don't get to see every day and i mean it's just like there's so many secret jewels that 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 we call um you know just the the crown jewels of mother nature herself what can we co-create with her if we can get past this and, and to some extent as so often in life uh, it's actually not like like our cultural predisposition that of of process uh, of progress thinking always makes us feel like we are arriving at something that will be at some point in the future but really it's arriving wow. in the present moment and just seeing the beauty that is already there um celebrating it it's not because that the danger would be if misinterpreting this and saying okay let's let's throw a lot of ge- genetic engineering and ai and create a brave new world i don't think that this is what it's about it's about actually understanding that we're already here if we live the the, the shift into an abundant um regenerative world is is basically a shift of consciousness to see that the world is abundant once we work for optimizing the whole system for all of life and all of humanity rather than fall victim to the illusion of separation which immediately makes us alienated and fearful and um drives the story of separation rather than the story of interbeing um i mean you, mm-hmm. you think you had charles eisenstein 
on um, your program earlier. And and Charles, in his book, um, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible, also speaks about the fact that this transition that we have to go through now is not necessarily a, a transition towards a hardship of a frugal culture where we have to do it less. No, it's a celebration of, of, of a much more creative, much more meaningful, much more engaged way of being where we have time to sing and, and dance again and, um, and, and be with this beauty. Yeah. Just be in harmony. And yeah, thank you for saying that and, and really clarifying that um, because the intention of the conversation isn't that, wow, we're going to get through this and then we'll create something even more beautiful. It's really about resting in the awareness of what is right here, right now. And yeah, and dancing and playing and enjoying and celebrating. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. And so, Danielle, I want to make sure that I have an opportunity to address some of our listeners are incredible activists. A lot of our listeners are really conscious. They care about the environment. They care about so much. And I just want to give you an opportunity to really share with our listeners what this regenerative culture looks like then as we're designing. You've, you, you talk about, um, how we cooperate. You talked about agriculture, economics, um, business and industry and community. We've talked a little bit about education. I love your ideas on, on education. I'm just wondering what you might say to the listener out there that is so poised and ready to say, okay, what more can we do now? Well, the, the working title of my book, um, you know how normally this happens. You, an author thinks of a title of a book, writes the book over two or three years, and then in the last editing processes, the editor says, it's never going to sell with that title. Maybe you should reconsider um, your title. And so my, my working title was uh, Living the Questions Together. And if mm -hmm. you read the book carefully, you will find that, that I, I kind of come back to that theme throughout the entire book. Um, and also that that's why the book has 250 questions in it. And so in in many ways, my advice is that there, there is no one size fits all solution of regenerative culture. That's why there's a plural in the in, in the title. It's designing regenerative cultures, plural, because I believe that these cultures will be elegant expressions of the biocultural uniqueness of place. They will have to come out of the historic cultural background of a people in a place, making connection with the new people that have come to that place, and deeply honoring the limits and opportunities of the local ecosystem. And then these cultures, in order for the for to be truly sustainable and regenerative, we'll have to collaborate at a global level. So I think we're moving towards a world that is at the same time more regionalized and focused on regions, bioregions as as the main scale of operation and how we meet our needs. But in order to do this in a way that all of humanity can benefit, we need to also have knowledge exchange, open source knowledge exchange, and peer to peer in the innovation that enables us to share best practices and learning across regions. 
And so my advice to anybody who is an activist is, is find your place, find your region, find your people and live the questions with them about how can we create this world that we would like everybody to live in. And some people might be more called to do this very locally and regionally and other people do it as global pollinators teaching and, 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 and moving from one place to another. But um, it's this humble exploration of how do we fit in and how can we make a difference? How, how can we, no matter how bad the news are, how dis disillusioning the current politics on the planet are, um, can, how can we take that attitude of I will plant an apple tree today even if I knew that the world was going to end tomorrow? Mm. Because that's how we will make a difference. Yeah, thank you. Your suggestion of really finding your your people locally and doing what you can. And then I love this open source idea of really sharing globally and having these cross pollinators because you're saying, which is fascinating to me, if we really understand the complexity and that the, this complex dynamic system as a whole, it doesn't mean it's all one solution for everywhere because we're really talking about honoring the complexity that's everywhere we don't have one solution fits all we i love the idea of regions so can you can you share more about that because i think that's really important we have several groups that are are popping up that are are really trying to globalize and unify and yet what the solution and what you're talking about here, this, this pattern that connects us also really respects and honors the diversity and allowing the solution that's in point A may not be a solution for point B, but there may be elements of it that can really inspire something even greater in point B. Yeah. So, for example, I, I live on the island of Mallorca, which, which is in the Mediterranean uh, climate zone area. So, so there might be solutions in terms of regenerative agriculture and water management and um, the, the type of biomaterials resources on which we could base regionally focused bioeconomies that, that replace our material culture um, from fossil fuel based materials and fossil energy based production methods to renewable energy based production based on, on, on biomaterials that, that we grow while we're still regenerating local ecosystems and, and the soil and reversing climate change in the process. So these all, all these processes have to happen climate zone specific and ecosystem specific. But because I live in a climate zone that is very similar to Australia and parts of California, there might be some of the solutions that we're pioneering here that would work in those areas too. But again, if you if you just transplant them without really carefully talking to local farmers and lo asking local knowledge, even indigenous long-term knowledge of a place, you're likely to make mistakes. And in general, we, we need to get friendly with our mistakes because um, one thing that also made me shift focus on questions rather than solutions is that if you, if you think back in history, um, yesterday's solutions tend to be the cause of today's problems. So even with the best of intentions of getting it right and wanting to do the right thing, we're likely to make mistakes, which again brings us back to maybe doing 
experiments at a local and regional scale where the feedback in, in these complex systems is fast enough that we can learn from our mistakes and course correct and, and um, try other things. So uh, relocalization and re-regionalization is, is, is important for a number of reasons. Mm. Daniel, what do you think then is, and, and maybe you don't have an answer for this, but I'm, I'm really curious because you're right, this is brilliant and I encourage around the world to pick up this book and hopefully you have it in a lot of different languages real soon. I know it just was released last year, but when we're talking about whole systems change and we're looking at toward the future, I'm just wondering um, as you muse into our solution and, and breaking through this illusion of separation that we have, what are the what are some of our solutions that are right here right now that if we would adopt adapt and implement could create significant shifts toward a regenerative culture well one of the real urgent issues that we're facing as a species where really the time is ticking is a global warming and um, the climate chaos that is, is getting uh, worse and worse around the planet. And I've had the opportunity to support an initiative that is currently coming out of the, the Commonwealth Secretariat, which is the, the organization that is loosely connecting all the former colonies of, of uh, the British Empire. Um, and what they've started last October was a process which is called an initiative called regenerative development to reverse global warming or to reverse climate change. And it's a reframe of this conversation around climate change that it's coming and it's going to be bad and we'll all suffer to basically saying we still have a chance to engage in practices that will actually draw down enough CO2 from the atmosphere to slow global warming, to reduce parts per million in the atmosphere of CO2 to pre-industrial levels within this century. And Paul Hawken just recently launched Project Drawdown in, in, in California, um, listing 100 solutions that are ready today to begin this process. But I think we need to go beyond this carbon myopia and only looking at the, the carbon issue and realize that if, if we implement basic shifts towards a biomaterial culture, meaning because we cannot afford to burn this, the, the fossil fuels that are still left on the planet, the conversation isn't about peak oil and peak coal anymore. We, we simply can't burn it in order to stay under 1.5 degrees of global warming. Um, so that also means that we, we need to think of new material sources because so much of our current material culture is made from byproducts from the fossil fuel industry. So the, the, the overall pattern shift that will be different in different regions, but, but is a, the similar pattern shift is a shift from fossil materials to biomaterials, um, basically locally, regionally grown biomass that we turn into the basis of our new material culture. And that's something that 
that can be done in different ways in different regions, but but can be done everywhere. Um, the same, the shift towards localized, decentralized renewable energies, um, moving away from toxic substances that we're still putting into um, the environment, like endocrine disruptors and, and plastic and 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 um, a lot of cosmetics, and always ask ourselves the question with all our design, innovation and technological efforts, does it contribute to the health of the whole? What is the effect on human health, on community health, on ecosystems health and on planetary health? And cre create almost a positive version of the precautionary principle of not saying prove that it doesn't do any harm, but saying prove that what you're doing is generating health, that is, gener is generating um, well-being and is therefore regenerative. Yes, thank you for bringing in how does it affect the health of the whole and I just we just have a few minutes left um, in the show here today Danielle and I'm just curious if you could speak a little bit more about the, the good of the whole and what that means just in a minute or less what message would you leave our listeners today about how important it is in designing regenerative cultures that we really prioritize the whole. It, the whole isn't an additive whole. It's not parts putting together to make up the whole. The whole is always more than the sum of its parts. And to fit in appropriately into that whole, indigenous wisdom tells us to ask three fundamental questions. Does it serve me and a lot of people that are currently talking about the shift from me to we want to ignore the importance of also serving the, the, the small self. Does it serve my community? Because only if I serve myself, I can also effectively serve my community. And does it serve the planet? And if we can ask that question on all three levels and make sure that whatever we do serves ourselves, serves our communities, and serves the planet, then we can fit into this whole that we are part of and participants in and co-creators of, because it's not just a material process, it's, it's a conscious process, then we can live with a new relationship to our wholeness and bring forth health as an emergent property of the larger being that we are. Beautiful. Beautiful. That in itself is a beautiful prescription and worth the whole show of this. I really appreciate your message, Daniel. Thank you so much for joining us today. It has really been a delight having this conversation with you. Well, thank you so much for all your interesting questions. I'm surprised by my answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your answers are great. Actually, I could have went to those 200, 300 some questions in your book and just asked you some of them because they're brilliant. So I just want to remind our listeners, we are visiting here with Dr. Daniel Christian Wall, author of Designing Regenerative Cultures. You can find him more about Daniel at danielchristianwall.com. And that's Daniel Christian spelled normal and W-A-H. So, danielchristianwall.com and ugh, what a treasure. If you're interested in regenerative cultures, pick up that book. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. I'd love that you've tuned in with us today. Remember, together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. 
Bye for now. 